Welcome to another episode of the Criterion Quest, a continuing podcast series looking at important films and contemporary classics. My name is Chris, and I'm joined, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Lee. Hello. And uh, we, we've, we've, got a, we've got a film <laughs> this week. <laughs> we've got a film, Chris. Yeah, I just, film. I, when we were watching it, I just kept recalling, like, because we'd been on a run. Like, obviously, we'd had, had a massive, like, two, three-month break in recording or something. And then, um, you know, we dived back in with a bunch of great studio 40s comedies. And you're like, I'm loving this. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> just, just wait. Just wait. <laughs> Just wait. When you said the director's name, I was kind of getting excited. And then about five seconds into this film, I lost that excitement. Oh, not just that. Like, yeah, so Roberto Rossellini. Um, uh, the film, by the way, is uh, The Flowers of St. Francis from 1950. But we'll get we'll get into that yeah. soon. But, like, yeah, Roberto Rossellini. Um, I mean, famously the director of Rome, Open City, and one of the fathers of neorealism. Um Great filmmaker, uh, co-written it turns out by uh, Federico Fellini as well. Mm, yeah, so, I saw that. Jesus. Um, but before we get into the film, how, how, how have you been? How have you been? Let's do yeah. some catch up. Yeah, good, good. How have you been? Yeah, good, good. Um, you know, tired of work and just so take as much opportunity as I can to watch movies. Yeah, you're starting your spooky film a day. Aren't you? Yeah, I, I'm. I'm uh, endeavouring to do a 31 days of horror challenge throughout October. So uh, we're recording this on the 3rd of October. So I'm three films in so far, and so far so good. Nice. So I've done. Um, yeah. So for those that don't know, I'm like I. I yeah, I'm sharing it across the Instagram and uh, Twitter and stuff, and I'll chuck it up onto the Patreon as well. Um, so it's a different horror movie every day, and has to meet like a criteria or a theme so so far i've done um a universal monster movie Ooh. um a vampire movie <laughs> and then today was a folk horror interesting yeah so. i just know i just know horror yeah <laughs> well tomorrow is gonna be great it's seaside horror tomorrow so fun <laughs> yeah see I, and i'm trying to do ones that i've never seen before or like mm. haven't seen as much but seaside horror i'm so tempted to just revisit us because that's, oh, yeah. that's set at the beach <laughs> yeah uh, yeah no you're right yeah i guess that's, that's seaside sure <laughs> I looked up like what is seaside horror, and then and Google was like, I don't know, Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just to do with the setting, obviously. I guess, yeah. Like, I mean, the first one that comes to mind is The Fog, uh, John Carpenter's classic movie. But I watched that kind of recently, so I don't want to. Yeah. So, is the the types of horrors is that already prescribed for you? Uh, I found a couple of because this is kind of a big, you know, it's a hashtag and a bunch of things on like people online doing it. Um, so I found a couple of different lists and kind of created my own based off of other people's lists. Yeah. So, like I didn't want, yeah, some of the lists were like seventies, eighties, nineties. I'm like, ah, that's boring. Yeah. 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 It's a bit easy. Yeah. Yeah. Seaside horror. Yeah. Seaside horror. You know, I, I'm looking forward to like robots. <laughs> <laughs> Robot horror movie. Yay. <laughs> yeah. Erotic cool. thriller. Oh, why not? Sign me yeah. up. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, have, have you seen anything good lately? Oh, I feel like you ask this every time and I'm like, nah. Nah. <laughs> uh, I, I think we did, what do we do? We've just done our um, Patreon for Psycho for mm -hmm. our Spooktober, which is really exciting. And yeah. that one I hadn't seen in probably over 10 years and I just love rewatching that. That was fabulous. Oh, that was so much fun to sit down and revisit and have a massive great chat about. That was great. Mm, it was good. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I suppose the only other one, like, uh, now that it's, you know, because unfortunately we're still in lockdown here in Melbourne, but, um, Annette is now available for us to watch, so that I, I recommend to everyone if you're looking for something really weird and fuck it, fucked up to, like, Yeah. Is it a musical? Out. Yes, it's a musical by Sparks as well. That's and I'm a right. Big, I'm a big Sparks fan, so. Yeah. Yeah, I remember, yeah, because the Sparks Brothers doco came out earlier in the year, and, like, uh... <laughs> The we two went of and us, saw it. Yeah, the two of us and Josh and Claire all kind of went together, had a cinema to ourselves. Yeah. <laughs> and, cause I, and I was the only one that like knew Sparks ahead of time, and so I'm like mm. having a great time, and then afterwards everyone's like, eh, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Started off super strong, and then uh, 
and then just proceed to be like, we're going to go through every album. Yeah. <laughs> and I guess if you're not as big a fan, like, it was clearly made by fans. Fans were talking about the band and all that, and then if you're not a fan, you don't know, you can't sort of get into the hype of it all. Yeah, you're sort of not in with it, I guess. So I, I still really like it. I, I found it surprising. Um, our friend and uh, previous guest, um, Toby, watched it recently and fucking loved it. Mm. And was he was he a like, Sparks I- fan? No, no, oh. not a Sparks fan. Didn't really know anything about them. And then was just like, I loved how it just went album to album to album. Yeah. He said it didn't feel like it was, you know, two hours 30 or whatever. He, yeah, he wanted more. So mm. There you go. Different yeah. takes. Exactly. Uh, if you can't tell, we're trying to like, you know, just stretch <laughs> so we don't have to get into that. I feel, I feel bad because this is very clearly an important film for people um yeah and a well-regarded film but obviously one that we just didn't quite connect with so i guess do we dive into it do it do yeah. we do it let's, let's go all right so this week's film as we mentioned is roberto rossellini's film from 1950 the flowers of saint francis In a series of simple and joyous vignettes, director Roberto Rossellini and co-writer Federico Fellini lovingly convey the universal teachings of the people's saint. Humility, compassion, faith, and sacrifice. Gorgeously photographed to evoke the medieval paintings of St. Francis's time and cast with monks from the Nocera Inferiori Monastery? I fucked that up so bad. Uh, The Flowers of St. Francis is a timeless and moving portrait of the search for spiritual enlightenment. Uh, Straight off the bat, I have a very, very important question. When does he get his flowers? Uh, I mean, there is that one scene where they they have um, Sister Claire coming to pray and visit with them. And so they pick a whole bunch of flowers and make like a bed of flowers to make the place look nice. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and I guess, like, I mean, the interpretation, like, if we're automatically getting into the weirdness of it <laughs> and <laughs> clutching at straws, the flowers being, like, you know, these little pearls of wisdom, like, like the beauty of his teachings and the lessons of his life, like, you know, yeah. So, Francis, this is me great grasping, yeah, at straws. Yeah. My understanding is he's the son of a wealthy man or a wealthy yes. family, and he's chosen to become... Uh, a monk, a brother, um, and live to a devote life his of, life to Jesus and God. For, and, yeah, yeah, the teachings. And, yes, and live in poverty and and yeah, to achieve spiritual enlightenment. Yeah, that's what he's doing. Yeah. Yes, and then would later like it, it took me about halfway through the film to realize like oh fuck we're talking about Saint Francis of Assisi here like he like a very famous Catholic figure. And how do you know that? Is it because uh, just basic religious studies through school and stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, we both went to religious schools. Yes, but uh, I don't know about you, but devout atheist. Yeah. <laughs> so, which yeah. is why, which is what makes a film like this very tough in that it's, I, 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 I can appreciate it for its yep. filmic techniques and things and the basic moral stories that it's telling, but I don't have that deeper connection to it that say religious people would like yes uh jumping way the fuck ahead to the, something i had in the trivia um i think it was in the 90s i'll find out exactly when it was but um the the pope listed this named this as one of the 45 best films ever made of course he did yeah the the catholic church embraces this film and sort of you know puts it on a high pedestal as a high watermark for the cinematic art form because it's also kind of encapsulating and dealing with Catholic teachings and a great figure within the Catholic Church and the general message of what they're preaching. So I get that, but it's also... It doesn't resonate with me either in a, in a deep way, but there's something really nice about it that if I were that way inclined, I would, you know, definitely, I could see myself having a bigger reaction to it. I oh, quite sure. like how it's quite simplistic in its storytelling and it is like verses in the bible do oh, i yeah. find it engaging or enjoyable no but it's it's not for me mm. do you know what i mean it's not for me so i can't poo poo on what it is just because no. it's not for me do you know what i mean no exactly and so it's like that massive kind of caveat of like it's a film that is like 
you know, it, it, I didn't hate the film. I just didn't engage yes, with it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's the same with me. And I found it extremely tiresome yeah. for me <laughs> because it's not. <laughs> is is okay I, let's let's dive into that like the the tiresome aspect because i i think it's probably a good word because both of us you could like watching it via zoom we were kind of slumping over we were getting kind of lethargic with it and do you think like obviously it's we're lacking that uh religious connection to the subject matter and the text but do you think it like for me it was uh the structure of how it was created absolutely and i think uh for a while, I was trying to work out where we are, who we're with, what's the point and all that. And after a while, I just let that go and just sort of let it wash over me and whatever I experience is what I experience. For me, I think I clutch onto really good characters and character yep. development. And I felt like, uh, Francis, any sort of challenges or anything he went through was so short and it felt more like a, a documentation of this man's teachings rather than a, a character arc in any way. I would 100%. say the, and I feel that's why I struggled with it so much and did find it so tiresome because I need, I need more. Yeah. And I would argue that, um, the character that was the simpleton, as I kept referring to him, I don't remember his name. Um, Giovanni, Giovanni, Giovanni. I found him more interesting. Yeah, and, it, and it, for the sake of it, is someone who has lived his life as just a regular person, but then towards the end of his life is becoming more devout and wants to give his life over to God. Yeah, and in a way, I don't think he had a lot of agency because he was a bit too simple to work out. You know what he was doing is wrong or all that sort of thing, but. You know, it sort of evoked emotions in me as I was watching him when he obviously did that horrible thing where he chopped off the pig's foot. Um, oh, no, no. Was... I mean, I mean, it wasn't him that chopped off the pig's foot, but he asked to have the pig's foot chopped off for him. Who he he chopped was... it. Um, one of the other guys did it. Yeah, because oh. Giovanni, he's the old man, like the old oh, silly no. bugger. I meant, sorry, I meant the 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 simple, t- like, not the old silly bugger, the um, the young silly bugger. Fuck, what's his name? Oh, sorry, yeah, I, I think I'm... Yeah, sorry, you are right. Um, I God, can't yeah, this tell. is the problem. Because, yeah, there, there's Giovanni, uh, there's... Ginepro. Oh Brother Ginepro. Yeah, Ginepro is the one who cuts off the, yes. the foot. Yes. Yes. So, um, I would argue that his character development was more interesting. And the old bugger. Let's just call them the simpleton and the old bugger. Um, oh, no, no, like, yeah, the, the old bugger is the simpleton and Ginepro is, like, just a weirder monk guy. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, I would say that their, char- their character arcs were more interesting. Yeah, it's... I mean, do, do we want to try and go through what happens in the film? Um, it, it, like, similarly, like, I mean, on a... I mean, just being honest, I've got the Wikipedia in front of me <laughs> <laughs> that breaks this thing down. So, I mean, a little bit of backstory and things, I suppose. Do you, like, you interested? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So, basically, this is a film that uh, Rossellini had been wanting to make for quite a while. He was, like, re- he was really interested in uh, the Catholic Church, in particular the values and how they... Uh, it seemed to kind of be lacking in modern day society. And then, uh, as well as the ethical teachings that the church, he, he actually wasn't a uh, religious person himself. He was like a lapsed Catholic, but he was like, I still find these moral lessons and these teachings that these books offer to be something of substance. And I think something that needs to be kind of discussed or examined today. Um, and so then he basically set about, uh, doing, like, literal interpretations of two 14th century novels, um, Little Flowers of St. Francis and The Life of Brother Juniper, um, which kind of two different texts, telling tales, Christian texts about the Franciscan monks. Mm. And I think it was something like, there's 78 chapters originally. Mm, and God, so I'm glad there isn't. In, <laughs> instead of doing that, they just opted to focus on nine. Um, yeah. And each one of them kind of acting as a as a bit of a parable, yeah, or like a little mini mini morality tale, yeah. 
Um, the first one being how Brother Ginnipro returned naked to Saint Mary's of the Saint Mary of the Angels, where the brothers had finished building their hut. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then inside is a farmer. With his goat, uh, no, with his donkey. Donkey, and he tells him to get out or something, and then they just leave. And then they stand in the rain, and it's this sort of little simple thing of um, St. Francis sort of being like, look, you, I, I feel like I've led you astray, and I'm not worthy necessarily, and I'm going to lay down on the in the rain and the mud, and you can put one foot on my mouth and the other on my neck and essentially kill me. Yeah. And the brothers are just like, you are humble. Yeah. You're a humble, I, meek man, and no... Yeah. I would say you're being very extra right now. Just calm down. It's not that bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that's it. Like, it's, yeah, it's these simple little, like, okay, cool. Yeah, like, uh... I mean, that that one's great as the initial setup of, like, oh, there are these wandering monks who, um, I guess we're just going to have the establishment of these odd little stories that happen to them and about them. Um, and by starting off with this one, we're establishing the absolute humility of them. Like, like the fact that they... Because a guy's like, no, get out there, they're just like, okay. And they just stand out in the rain. Like, yeah. that's... That's who they are, what they're all about, and, you know, what we're eventually going to see. And would you say as we go through, maybe we'll continue to go through, but I want to try and remember, in terms of the people they run into, I'd say, from memory, there's only one person outside of the religious groups that they meet, outside of that, that they have an impact on. It would seem like most of the people that they run into or have interactions with, maybe one, maybe two that they have an impact on. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like in terms of actual substance, like changing their yeah. uh, impact on their lives, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I would say that there's one that impacts them and one that they impact, I yeah. guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, the, the second story is about, the second chapter is about uh, the introduction of Giovanni, the old man, the simpleton, who basically yeah. comes wandering up into their little village makes your village area with an ox and he's just like i want to give you guys this and the family's coming running after like no 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 grandpa is senile you can't have our cow yeah and they're like we don't want the cow but we'll take him yeah and it's again like that just that, that simple thing of like showing the you know welcoming nature and humility and it's like well this guy is an old senile fool um mm-hmm. But his heart is in the right place, so who are we to judge? So, come on in, buddy. Come on in. Despite the fact that he'll go on to, like, you know, cook all of our food. And yeah. be a fucking dick the whole yeah. rest of the time. And just sit there repeating what everyone generally says. Yeah. Well, we, that's, could argue that's kind of, that, yeah. we could argue that that's an outsider that they're impacting then. He becomes yeah. an insider. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and that's which I found interesting is by it's it's not until sort of the end of the film that everyone is. I, I just love whenever he's attempting to act like a monk, everyone's just like, like, ru- <laughs> like rubbing their brow in frustration, or they're like flat out covering his mouth, like shut up. Yeah. But, but but then by the the very end of the film, they're all just like, oh, Giovanni, you nut. <laughs> They're so used to him, and it's it's kind yeah. of this nice little arc happening there. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It, it's so. I mean, I I guess we continue, but I don't. I'd feel bored of just kind yeah. of going through and listing what happens in all of these things, because then it's like Saint Clair comes. Jennifer uh, cuts up. Yeah. Yeah. The sky burns orange or something with after their meeting. Yeah. To symbolise some form of importance. Yet it's a black and white film, so left up to our interpretation. Pretty uh, much. Yeah, they cook, they cook all the food. Ginnipro um, cuts off a pig's foot. <laughs> yeah. Ginnipro, I think my favourite scene is Ginnipro going to uh, the... What's it called? Uh, the Tyrant's Place. The Tyrant's Place. And yeah, that's where... Yeah, a tyrant, uh, Nicolelo. So Nick, they go and <laughs> the way they 
fling him around. It's just, it's got the opposite of what it's meant to be impacting. Like, obviously, that's the dating of it. But it's, yeah. he's meant to be ragdolling around and they're sort of beating him up. But it's just, it's so comical now. See, to me, this is the best part of the film. Because yeah. it's, it's what? It's chapter number seven. Yeah. But, but... Like, I, I want to go back to chapter number five just quickly as, like, a, a an example of why I like this one mm-hmm. so much. Chapter number five is how Francis praying one night in the woods met the leper. Mm. And it is literally Francis in the woods praying and a leper walks past. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's the scene I'm done. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, like, and I, I understand that it's like, you know, the, the leper is obviously keeping his distance because he's a leper and Francis goes to talk to him and approach him and, and the leper is shunning him, sort of like, you know, no, keep the distance. Like, and so it's St. Francis, who is supposed to be the example of humility, is seeing someone who is suffering horribly in their life yet still shows a humility that is almost beyond him. And gotcha. that makes him break down and weep. And you're like, cool. Yeah. But it, it, it's like a five minute little sequence. And you're like, I like, it, it's just a simple little parable thing. Whereas yeah. this one where Ginnipro goes to confront the tyrant feels like a movie. Yeah, I agree. It, 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 there's, there's agency, there's, there's amazing shot construction and set design. Not to say that that was necessarily lacking in the rest of the film, but it, it's, it really feels like something is happening, and yeah. with it's it's the longest of all the chapters, yeah. has the most going on in terms of multiple character growth. It's yeah. not, yeah, it's not just, you know, St. Francis being like, wow, that guy's humble. No. <laughs> um, and I like how Jinnipro, who's uh, made so many mistakes up until this point, has his moment of having impact and whilst yeah. we see him as sort of the weaker one of the group or you know not as maybe switched on as the other monks um or brothers this one he has such big impact so therefore yeah. for me i thought he was the most interesting character of the film because we had all those prior little stories with him you know failing or doing something without thinking and then here he has such an impact there's a wonderful shot of him walking towards the camera as they're burning down the um the refuge i don't know what they call that but anyway and it's like a hero shot he's sort of oh, walking that's amazing yeah towards the camera and he gets bigger in this in the shot mm. um yeah i was like oh that's a, that's good compared to what we've just seen this one's sticking out as interesting <laughs> yeah it, it's it's super interesting i wonder where it falls in the actual timeline of what's happening if it because it, it's basically it's him wandering the Italian countryside and I'm wondering if it's, you know, it, it's almost like a sequel to like a story that we see later where it's like, you know, yeah. all the monks essentially disbanding because it doesn't involve any of the other people. It's just him kind of wandering on his own as a Franciscan monk imparting, you know, learning and bettering himself through his teachings as well as imparting what he can to those around him. And it's, yeah, it, it's interesting that it's just kind of plopped in at this point. Yeah, because um, I was know. waiting for him to return to the Francis monks and explain what he'd done. Yeah. But no, we just cut to the next story, Yeah, which I guess is in line with, like you said, the vignettes. We're yeah. Little short stories. We're not a one continuous narrative. And I guess ending where the film does end with, you know, having Francis kind of disband the monks and send them off and all across the country to, you know, continue on is sort of where you want to leave the film. You you mm. want to leave it with that spreading of the gospel as opposed to hero shot of Ginnipro as a village burns down. Yeah, <laughs> You know what is like Mad Max of hero shot, yeah. No, yeah. But it's, it, like, why I engaged, or kind of that one perked me back up is because it is... Well, here's this meek guy who, like, in the face of such brutality, um, you know, these... I wrote down a note saying, like, it looks like he's entering a Mongolian village in Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah, and we <laughs> said that the main tyrant, I thought he looked like one of the frogs off um, a Studio Ghibli film, like, spirited <laughs> away. <laughs> well, strangely, he is the only actual, like, actor in the film. Ah. Everyone else is a, um... Uh, 
like an actual monk, but he was the wow. one actor. Um, I'm blanking. I'm trying to find his name in my notes, but I can't find it. Uh, Aldo Fabrizi was his name. Uh, he'd been in a couple of Rossellini films previously, but and I, not to knock the monks, but I think it helped. Like actually having a real actor, and he's hamming it up so wonderfully mm. in his giant suit of armor, with yeah. like the like looking out through the fucking holes and stuff. That and was just... like a um, a Monty Python esque scene. <laughs> yeah, it fully was. But yeah, just seeing this guy go through this absolute brutality and yet still, you know, faced with his own death, he's not. He's still viewing himself as like a repentant man who is here. Like, yeah, it's. It's lovely, and in mm. that mercy, like, in that kind of humbleness, he's able to then impart that, like, you know, my God, throughout the film, it, like, it has the, th- yeah, I mean, it's good, no, it's in that scene, when he's up at the top of the tower, he says, I understand now, um, it's best to teach through, not through words, but through actions. Yeah, and he jumps off. Yeah, and it, it's that simple thing of how, how you get your teachings across is just live by example. And yeah. and we see firsthand. It, it, that's why it works so well. It's like set up. We see the example of what he's actually doing, and we see the payoff of it. Mm. All in this nice little twenty-minute vignette. Yeah. Whereas yeah. a lot of the others were just sort of like this happens. Yeah, yeah. It's not. It's great for if you are a religious person. I think we we spoke about this sort of film before with the Jesus Christ one. What was that called? Oh, the King of Kings. The King of Kings. At this time, um, it's great. Like, we don't need to have it told in a movie form. The audience it's trying to uh, speak to will just love it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas nowadays, we probably need a bit more. Well, that's the other, like, the main note and thing that I kind of wanted to discuss that I wrote down was basically I just wrote religious cinema then versus now and how... I mean, you've hit the nail on the head there, how it's it's basically back in... not Like, the 50s wasn't even that long ago, really. I know, it's interesting. It feels so much older than this. Obviously, it's set in the 14th century, and it's quite simple, but it actually feels a lot... Uh, shot a lot earlier. Yeah, it, it... It seems a lot older than 1950s, for sure, and I'm wondering if that is just a kind of byproduct of the actual type of story it's telling yeah and also i'd imagine that in italy at this time probably a lot different to america in terms of people who are religious yeah and a lot of similar sort of less uh, less different types of religion i'd yeah. say there's one main religion and that's catholicism i'm sure there's yeah. different ones i'm just saying the main one that everyone, almost everyone is, is Catholic. Yeah, and, like, likening it to, like you said, like, this is, if you're, there's a lot more religious people back then, or, like, people that are able to just, like you were saying, like, someone watching this film when it first came out, like, obviously, religion plays, not to say that religion's fully gone in a modern-day world, but it's, for an audience, it's a lot easier and more accessible um, and I mean, for both you and I, we're, we're approaching this film not from a religious standpoint, but instead from a cinematic standpoint. So, and it's just a type of film that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, definitely like, not. Like, the last time, of, at least in the mainstream of cinema, like, I think the last time a film like this existed was probably Passion of the Christ. Yeah. In, in that it's just presenting a religious story with no kind of added stuff on top of it. It's shot very well, but it's not... It's, it's just doing a literal translation of that. There, there's yeah. no extra, like, narrative or story being infused on that. What's the um, Scorsese one called? Well, that's that's kind of what I wanted to get into next, is, like, yeah. c- comparing it to religious... Other types of religious cinema, like, and the two that immediately come to mind for me are the two Scorsese's. Um, Last Temptation of Christ and Silence more recently. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, obviously, Last Temptation of Christ is an adaptation of um, Nico Kazantzakis' novel about basically what if 
Jesus wasn't the son of God. Like, you know, the, the rejecting of the call and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And that's super fucking interesting from a yeah. character standpoint. Well, he's probably coming at it as a, a, a filmmaker. Is he? Yeah. I wonder. I wonder if he's a religious person. Oh, it's Scorsese. Yeah. Oh man, he almost was a priest. Oh, okay. So he, he is coming he, at from a religious way as well. He, yeah, he studied at the seminary and basically um, had the two life choices of either priest or filmmaker. And at the very end, like he he was studying to become a priest, and then went off and became a filmmaker instead. I was going to say, thank God he did, but then that just sounds that just sounds wrong. Thank yeah, God but he did. <laughs> but that's what's so interesting, knowing that backstory of him uh, having that kind of relig- super religious in his life, is it, it's the understanding of his characters and basically the way and how he presents characters with a kind of not necessarily moral ambiguity, but like take The Wolf of Wall Street, for example. Like Jordan Belford, horrible piece of shit. Yeah. But Scorsese interprets it through a lens of... It's, it's not, hey, look at this jackass. He's like, well, let's understand the morality of this person. Yes. He's yeah. approaching it from that kind of religious aspect. Yeah. From a character, like, you know, let, let's understand how and why the moralities of this character are like that. And, you know, from a self-examination, like, you know, how, how far removed is this from me, morally speaking, and what would it take for me to kind of get to that standpoint? Yeah. Super Fascinating. interesting. Yeah. And, that, yeah. Hmm. And more recently, Silence. Uh, I know you haven't seen it because nobody's fucking seen Silence. Um, <laughs> it's it's amazing. It's it's amazing. Um, <laughs> but that that is a film that is a little bit kind of closer to Flowers of St. Francis, say, because it is directly about Jesuit priests trying to bring religion over to Japan. And but because uh, like, I so, would say that that in itself is an interesting enough. Uh, narrative or concept or exploration. Do you know what I mean? Basically because Japan at the time was so anti-Catholic that it's like, if you uh, try to bring Jesus here, we will fucking murder you. (laughs) And it's basically then examines like, well, what happens when a devout priest has to essentially hide his faith? Hmm, And it's so so you've, you've got that character elements there. Yeah. And but like wrapping it kind of back around, like that's 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 how we get religious films these days. Is the idea of religion discussed within a character yes. narrative, as opposed to an overtly we are telling you religious stories? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that in that way opens it up to a broader audience that can enjoy a film like uh, that. Without having to have the religion with it. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. So oh, totally. others can access it. It's accessible to more people. And I'm guessing by um, him chiming in, George is a devout Catholic. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, was like, I was about to say, who's George? But it was the cat George. Meow. <laughs> I must apologize for him. I was, I was, there was, there was bits though that I was looking forward to, like when they were setting up their, their area that they were living in, I really wanted it to be like a, it, it felt like a hippie commune and yeah. I wanted to see like, okay, they're living out in the middle of nowhere. What are they living off? How, how does life work then? But it, yeah. it became very much about the teachings and the message and all that sort of thing. And I'm like, oh, I wanted to see how they like, how do they live? Yeah, like that would have been an interesting kind of route for it to go instead of just being like verse, verse, like, you know, story, story, story. Yeah. Just dis- disconnected stories. It's like, it would there have been a way to create this narrative that basically you had those little vignette stories, but at the same time they were housed within an overall arcing narrative of yes. this is how these this order of monks was established, created their little commune, how that yeah. impacted the people around them and how they worked and like, you know, worked with those people and then how they moved on. Like, yeah, it's such yeah. a foreign world to what I'm used to. And I was really fascinated by the world that they lived in and the little elements of it, like where they're collecting the flowers and all that sort yeah. of thing. I kind of wanted to be a bit more immersed in the world. And in terms of their impact, there's the scene uh, with the tyrant and the other priest realizes yeah. that where our priest is from the St. Francis group and 
I feel like that's the only time we, we realize how important that group is. I, yeah. I think it's relying on a little bit, like you were saying before, a little bit of back knowledge, prior yeah. knowledge about the subject. Because yeah, like I was it, just like, I don't know who these guys are from a bar of soap. Yeah, it, it, it's the, the film is presupposing that you have an understanding of who St. Francis of Assisi is and, you know, the what the Order of Franciscan Monks stands for and what, they, yeah. what they're all about. But it's just, unfo- like, not unfortunate, but it's just the world that we live in now that we're just like, I, do- I don't. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, we've encountered a couple of films like that where it, they don't hold your hand in no. creating the, in, in at least presenting the world that the characters are inhabiting. But for the most part, those films have at the same time had a character that you can latch onto or a narrative yeah. aspect that you're able to latch onto. Whereas this was just very, it's vignette It's, it's. Yeah. It's by it's video it's presentations of Bible verses. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> full stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's 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 and again it's not bad. It's it is beautifully shot. They're like right at the beginning when they're like walking in the rain and then it's uh, the beautiful fucking dolly shot. Like you know it's magical stuff. Um, the music it's very sparse, but when it comes up, it's fucking fantastic. I made a note, but I, I only started making it a th- like a third of the way through. But when we first meet Sister Claire, we have music. And I mm-hmm. felt like that could have been the first time, but I didn't. Uh, the fire scene, um, the beating up scene, and then uh, one of the last scenes. Um, very and it's so, so, it's so triumphant in that final yeah. scene as well. It was one where I ended up looking up in like, has Tarantino ripped off and used this music in one of his films? Because it's so familiar. Yeah, like yeah. Like that kind of big, swelling, boomy, operatic music. I've got to ask, that last scene where they go into the town and then people mm-hmm. donate them food and then they immediately give the food back. Yeah. And uh, all hell breaks loose. I was just so confused about the point of that scene. Well, that's, it's just basically, again, showing the humbleness of these people. Why did and, they and just give the food to the poor? Why did they go via the monks? Because I get Well, that's... That's kind of the overall thing is basically uh, it's, you know, people give to the, the monks because they believe that it's important to them to give to religious people as opposed to enacting the humbleness and the religious act themselves, I guess. Ah, see, it's good watching these things with Chris. <laughs> <laughs> but I it's mean, like, yeah. Th- yeah, sorry. No, you sorry, go, you go. No, I was going to say, like, that. that's kind of the overall thing with this film. It's like in each of these little vignettes, there's a... There's that little fucking kernel of, like, religious, like, what this is about. And it's, it's a lot of the time it's very kind of like, yeah, cool, like, I get it. Yeah. And it's not present, like, that's why the Tyrant one was so great. It was presented in this nice kind of narratively unfolding way, as opposed to a, uh, here it is. Yeah. And I was going to say, it, it mates mention in the little spiel about it, being based off uh, medieval paintings of St. Francis's time. Yeah, that that's in terms of the cinematography. They were sort yeah. of going for that very iconoclastic kind of imagery, I guess. I'd love to see the paintings and make a comparison. Mm. Do you know what I mean? So it's paintings from his time as well. So that, yeah, that's interesting. I'd love to see that. Um... I think, oh, the other thing, you mentioned it was shown at Cannes this year. Was it Cannes or yeah. Venice? Yeah, uh, Cannes it was shown. Like, it was shown at Venice initially uh, when it first came out. But, yeah, just kind of, again, like, trying to get a bit of an understanding of what the film is and how it's saying, like, kind of looking over that Wikipedia. Um, yeah, it was it had a restoration and was shown at Cannes this year as part of the Cannes Classics um, wow. program. So, Yeah. Yeah, I, I think have no it's idea a little... how well it went. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say it's a bit lost on me, to be honest. Mm. I can see the importance it would have had at its time, but in terms of an enduring impact, yeah, it's a little lost on me. Yeah, and it, I, I think it's not necessarily a fault of the the religious nature of the film. I think it is because both you and I have the same issue, where it's like it was lacking that sort of narrative. Or character through line for us to latch on mm. and if if it had had that i'm in yeah definitely because because yeah the i mean for non-actors great performances really yeah. um cinematography we said was beautiful like it's uh how about them star wars wipes oh yes <laughs> <laughs> so good 
I think they'll for always they've always be Star Wars wipes. Transitions. Yeah, just, just when it's that boop, you're yeah. just like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it totally is. Mm. I don't know, like, have you, have you got anything else really for this one? It's, it's, yeah. I think uh, it's time we hear from someone, maybe. Oh, yes, yeah. This will be an interesting one to see what the hell Claire thinks this film's about. So that music means it is time once again for Claire's... What's that movie about? You nailed it! High five. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't hurt me with that <laughs> high five. That sounds bad. Yeah. Hurt me. <laughs> uh, so, this week's film... Yeah. It is called The Flowers of St. Francis. Flowers of St. Francis. It is an Italian film from 1950, and there is the Criterion cover. Oh, it's a monk. What's it about? So, the monks of St. Francis of Assisi, is that what they're called? Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, they have, like, you know, ventured out to Australia. That's how I know. Mm. So, the monks, so it must be, it's set in olden times because it's all, because it's black and white? No, Mm -hmm. because it's 50s. Oh, fuck. Okay, so there's monks. And what's it called again? Flowers. The Flowers of St. Francis. (sighs) The Flowers of St. Francis. So, it's actually the monk himself, St. Francis. How did he become a saint? That's his story. So, it's the miracles that he does. Oh, but wait a minute. You become a saint because you do miracles after you're dead. So, it's actually like people are uh, monks in his like order, but he's dead now. And they're like... Witnessing his miracles, including one where a field of flowers magically grows where nothing could grow before. Miracle. The end. Um, yeah, that's it. Okay. Wow. Um, I was wondering how long it would take before you got one pretty much correct. Yeah. You got one pretty much correct... But then decided, oh, wait, no, I'm going to make it a magical <laughs> story about flowers and he's dead now. It, it is a film about St. Francis and his order of monks and they're going <gasps> I on. said order of monks, didn't yep, I? Yep, yep. <gasps> you got it pretty much fucking bang on. And then you decided to, no, 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 scrap that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was like, wait a minute. They... Okay, so it's the good things he did in his life then. Yeah, it's kind of like some exa- like little vignettes and like stories of St. Francis and the Was he actually monks. any good? Eh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right, so that, that's, a, that's what Claire thought. The more important question is, do you have a tagline? Oof, I'm tossing up between two. Maybe I'll, yeah. I, uh, so, the flowers of St. Francis. Ever wondered what it felt like to read the Bible? <laughs> uh, my other one was uh, Ancestors protect me May they protect you <laughs> that's, that's good I, I like that one um, I honestly Had nothing um, Or like To the point of like the only possible one that I had Was um, Essentially cribbing a line from the film Saying uh, what was it? It's it's. <laughs> I just thought of like like. I mean, I've got that. I've got. Yeah. God, I'll, I'll do that one, and then I've got an absolutely stupid one. Shush! You're a very talky boy. Um, like uh, yeah, just going off of like literally cribbing a line from the film. Uh, it's better to live by example than by words. Nice. That's very meh. So, fuck it, I'm just going to go an absolutely stupid one. The Flowers of St. Francis. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> because... Is it like roads or robes? Where we're oh, going... <laughs> we don't need robes. Because <laughs> yeah. he kept giving his robe away. <laughs> and then, oh man, it, I'm just, it's like have them dress like Doc and Marty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. With that, we needed a Marty in this film. We I needed know, someone yeah. to latch onto who didn't know what was going on, and we learnt through his eyes. Like you said, Giovanni was the perfect character for that, but it just didn't exist. So no, yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. But, like, again, not a bad film, just one that didn't connect with us. Yeah. 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 It's, we're not its audience. Exactly. Uh, do you want to hear a little bit of trivia about the film? Yes. Uh, so the film was nominated for the Golden Lion at the 1950 Venice Film Festival, and it was also listed in, uh, in the top ten films of the year by Cahe du Cinema. Uh, it, I mentioned that it was selected by the Vatican in the religious category in the list of 45 great films. Um, Roberto Rossellini was one of a group of pioneering filmmakers of the neorealist era. Rather than shooting on stage, they shot on location and quite often using non-professional actors. Um, yeah, we sort of mentioned that the, all the actors were actually Franciscan monks. Mm. Uh, Roberto Rossellini and Ingrid Bergman were involved in a highly publicized, strongly condemned love affair during the making of the film, and Bergman was pregnant by Rossellini. Uh, while being married to another man. These circumstances in Rossellini's personal life made the shoot of the film very difficult, apparently. Yeah. I actually have to say, I love how Rossellini is not claiming to be a Catholic when making this. He is... But yet, everything that I would put as a religious person, like loving the teachings and all that sort of thing, or the the little customs that they have, it, it to me sounds like you're quite religious, but... He doesn't recognize himself in that way. But at the same time, if being devoutly religious meant that you couldn't have an affair with Ingrid Bergman, I'm, I'm not religious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I get it. Were they married ever? I don't know, actually, if they ever is there, were married. I wonder if that baby is Isabella Rossellini. It, it is, yeah. Ah. Yeah, that is Isabella Rossellini. Ah. Yeah. Um... This, I thought, uh, this is the final bit of trivia that I thought was very lovely. The filmmakers wanted to donate something to the monks who acted in the film since they refused payment. According to Rossellini's daughter, uh, who could be Isabella, uh, he expected them to ask uh, that the donation be something charitable, like uh, setting up a soup kitchen. Uh, Instead, the monks surprised everyone by asking for fireworks. Rossellini Rossellini saw to it that the town had an enormous, elaborate fireworks display that was the talk of the region for years to come. Oh, that's so fun. I love that. They were very cute. I love how the monks just, like, embrace each other and give each other little kisses on the cheek. Yeah. I love when, like, they're scrambling up a hill with their robes. (laughs) That's that's what I mean. Like, it's, again, going into that neorealism aspect of Rossellini, the, the idea of trying to make a film as authentic as possible um, without actually becoming a documentary, and then by hiring actual Franciscan monks to play the Order of Franciscan Monks, like it's, it adds this extra level of realism to it that's really nice. Yeah. 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 But, and, yeah. I, I just wish, it's, especially with Fellini helping with the script, like, come on, we, 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 there's a, yeah, yeah. More, more, more traditional narrative. Yeah. Um, I was going to say, before we wrap up, you have some emails, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, I guess we were too we're in a bit of a rush to get into this. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I forgot to do the emails at the beginning of the episode. Um, uh, just a couple of little ones on our Unfaithfully Yours episode. Um, listener Andrew Jarrett uh, said here that he really enjoyed the film, but uh, he's also a Preston Sturges nut, so it's understandable Ooh. that he... He really liked it. I've actually asked him, like, what, what's, what's it, where does it rank in his Sturges film? So I'm intrigued to find out. Uh, he, Andrew also submitted a tagline for Unfaithfully Yours, uh, which is, A man's downfall is being led astray by his private dick. <laughs> Bravo. It is... That that wins. That is, yeah. that is better than any of our taglines. Like, you, you win. Yeah. Love it. And then uh, another email from uh, Keelan, uh, another one of the, uh, on a, Unfaithfully Yours, another one from this era that I just didn't love. Uh, while stuff like the dream sequence are groundbreaking and Rex Harrison is deliciously nasty, mm. the, dreams, the dream sequences and he sets up, uh, the dream, sorry, the dream sequence where he sets up the elaborate plot, as ingenious as it was, just went on far too long and the same for him tearing the room apart at the end. Well, I agree with yeah. that. Absolutely. Yeah. I actually agree with everything Keelan just said. 100%. Yeah. Especially Definitely. the deliciously part. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, as always, we love hearing from listeners, so please uh, feel free to let us know your thoughts on Flowers of St. Francis. 
Yes, I'm very interested. That's going to be, uh, hmm. Yeah. I reckon people will probably be yeah, on the same page as us with it. I have a feeling, yeah. Uh, so I'll quickly dive into the Criterion edition itself. Uh, it's um, currently unavailable. I don't know if that means it's going out of print or not, but it, it, you know, it's a one-disc DVD with exclusive new video interviews conducted in 2004 with actress Isabella Rossellini, film historian uh, Adriano Apra, and film critic Father Virgilio <laughs> Fantuzzi. The American release prologue, uh, situating the film in its historical context through paintings and frescoes, uh, as well as uh, usual booklet essays that Criterion usually do. Um, and as always, that stuff is actually available on the Criterion channel as well. Which is what yeah. we watched it on. Exactly. Yeah, but um, I guess that'll wrap us up for another standard Criterion Yep, it is. That is a Criterion Criterion yeah. film. <laughs> That's it. No, no more, like, joyful, happy 1940s <laughs> studio comedies. What have we got next, Chris? We have got the Browning version from 1951, an Anthony Asquith film. Uh, I don't know much about it, but Anthony Asquith, uh, it's usually kind of lighter British studio stuff. So, Do you know when it's set? Mm, let me just see. I know it's about a headmaster. Oh, uh, it's it's 1951 made, but we don't know. Yep. Um, ooh, it won Best Actor and Best Screenplay at Cannes. So that's something. Uh, yeah, it's about a headmaster at a, at a um, boarding school. And it's based off of a classic Terence Rattigan play. Mm. We'll, we'll see. We'll give it a go, hey? <laughs> yeah. But um, if you're wanting to hear us discuss some other stuff, uh, as Lee mentioned earlier in the episode, we just recorded a commentary track for Hitchcock's Psycho that was a lot of fun, and you can have a listen to that over on our Patreon. Yeah. Or, yeah. like, as, as always, I'll put the links in the episode description. Um, and as we said, like, love hearing from everyone. You can send us an email at thecriterionquest at gmail.com. Uh, Lee's running the Instagram at Criterion Quest. I'm over on Twitter at Criterion Quest. All the standard shit. It's there in the episode description. Uh, if you feel like supporting us, have a have a look through. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with the Browning version. Yep. That just name. <laughs> sorry, that name's giving me the giggles. <laughs> I know. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if it has anything to do with the brown note. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you know about the, Do you know about the brown note? No, what's that? The brown note is a um it's a note that is played at such a certain decibel that it makes people shit their pants. Oh. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. <laughs> or not decibel at a certain frequency, I mean yeah. to say. Like yeah. Uh, but anyway, on that note, <laughs> on that on that brown, brown note, note. <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll wrap us up for this week's episode. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, for this week's episode, I'm Chris. I'm Lee, and we'll see you next time. <laughs> <laughs>